Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. Welcome back to Account Trends, everybody. Jason Stein here, your host, and with me as always, Mr. David Bergstein. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great today. Better than usual. Uh, Katie's uh, son was visiting us. I thought he'd never go home, but uh, <laughs> he, he, he finally left last night. He loaded up his motorcycle on his truck. Because he, he comes from Pennsylvania, he brought his motorcycle down because he wanted to do motorcycle riding in Florida because we got a lot of twi- twists, turns, and hilly places here. Almost like you, you know, uh, you have the hills out there. Anything new happening on your home front and uh, anything happening? Uh, I think the word is, you know, do you have homestead exemption there or any of that stuff? Oh, yeah. Now, now I don't have a homestead uh, exemption type of situation here. Um I feel like the state has more rural areas, so that's not really a thing here. And already the real estate taxes are pretty low. Texas, we had homesteading exemptions, but we have been doing a little bit of homesteading. As a matter of fact, um, just last week, uh, we decided one of the things that we decided we wanted to do is get property so that we could have some some a light amount of critters. So livestock. Okay, let's see what you got. Just some chickens, maybe some goats down the road. Maybe a donkey, you know, that's probably about as far as we'll go. But we did decide to go ahead and take the first step. Last week, we we went out and got ourselves six baby chicks, and they are absolutely adorable. I had no idea how cute these things are. And, like, they will cuddle with you. I will put them all six in my lap with a towel down, of course, because they're birds. <laughs> and I will hold my hands uh, like a in a in a covering type of a way. And they will all snuggle up together underneath my hands and go to sleep. And it is just the cutest thing ever. That, that sounds pretty cool. But in the true spirit of pioneering, are uh, you going to grow them up and then uh, use them for food? Yeah. They'll give us eggs for about three or four years. And then, um, we, you know, they're just kind of pets after that for a little while. And, you know, the chickens, I think, live six, seven years tops. Uh, and so we'll we'll bring we'll start rotating them through every couple of years, but uh, maybe we'll sell some eggs. But mostly it's just for us. But uh, if I do start selling eggs, I'll have to head up my CPA to see if I qualify for a Schedule F. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Plus, you get some farm supplements. Hey, by by the way, uh, I know we're going to bring our guest on in a second, but I was actually looking at my uh, library books, and I have this great book here. Uh, at the crossroads, the remarkable CPA firm that nearly crashes, written by Gail Crosley. Maybe we can ask her a couple of questions about that. It's a great little book helping accountants figure out how to deal with their clients and tell them stories. So uh, is she on for uh, coming on soon? David, your transitions are almost always perfect. I'd love to welcome our guest today, Gail Crosley. Gail, thanks for being uh, on the show today. Oh, thanks, Jason and David. It's great to be on yet again. Tell us more about this book of yours, Gail. It sounds really interesting. Thank you. Yes, it was fun to write because it's a fable about two different firms. 
And every single story in there is true. And some of the stories are rather jaw-dropping to people who read them. Um, and then they'll also see some of their own partners in the stories. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll start saying, oh, yeah, that there is Henry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's That funny. one is Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, you probably uh, hide the names for... Um, yes, for yes. The names are all changed, but they're all real stories. Uh, <laughs> How cool. Years of consulting. Yep, yep, yep. Well, and so so that's, I mean, perfect. I, I love that you took your experience and put it into a book that people could take advantage of. And and by the way, where 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 is that available if, if after people listen to the episode today, they want to go buy a copy? Amazon. Amazon. All right. Mm, yep. And I think it's also downloadable and it's in Spanish also, but not from Amazon. My I have my secret, my secret stash here from South America. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one of my clients translated into Spanish down in Boy. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Gail, you are a CPA, a CGMA, and a strategic growth consultant. Tell us about your background and and how you became a strategic growth consultant that allowed you to collect these stories for this amazing book. Uh, Will do. Uh, Jason, I graduated with a degree in accounting, and I decided I actually sat for the exam while I was still in college and decided I wanted to be a partner in one of the large firms. And... um, I started as an auditor at Arthur Anderson and then went to Pricewaterhouse as an auditor. Uh, but uh, the PwC job was in Atlanta. Um, I started up in Cleveland with Arthur, but I was in Atlanta back in the day and I was a woman in the South and a Yankee to boot. And it, it, it didn't go well um, culturally. <laughs> so they pretty much ran me out or I left because there was no career opportunity. I went into uh, sales marketing and new product development at IBM for about a dozen years, actually. And then I left and went uh, through a series of venture capital-backed startups until the dot-com bust. And when the dot-com bust happened, I was still a CPA. I'd kept up my CPE, but there was nothing left over here in the technology world. So I came over back over to CPA land and started working with mid-market firms um, to help them grow strategically. and. Uh, using the best practices from really the cutting edge technology environment. So I've worked with um, over five, about 500 firms now, about half of the top 100, and then about a, oh, a quarter to a third of the next two or 300, and then some others. And, um, and uh, those, a lot of those stories, as, as I mentioned, are in the book. And, and what's cool is your experience is not limited to the accounting profession, right? So you, right. you know, working at IBM and like that's a very different uh, pace and, and mentality and structure and everything. Oh, my goodness. When I was in the early stage, the, the startup VC backed companies, I mean, it was a, a, it was a rodeo. It was fast paced. And when I came back over into, into the CPA world, it was like I went from the fast lane to the slow lane. And <laughs> But guess what? We're getting ready to get into the fast lane because the, the market's changing dramatically. And That's right. we can't be in the, in the slower lane like we have used to have done over all these years. We are going to be picking up the pace quite a bit. Yeah, everybody. I was gonna say, as as CPA firms are going into the fast lane, what do you see the trends and what's happening with the CPA firms? 
you know, from top to bottom, because top of the market, mid-market, et cetera? Yeah. Well, David, uh, our market is being disrupted not by one thunderbolt, but by four thunderbolts all at the same time. And as a result, a complete uh, transformation because of changes in technology, competition, regulation, and economic conditions, and not the least of which is the introduction of private equities into our space, who came, they come from the corporate world, and they are in the fast lane, and they have expectations of higher levels of sophistication with organizational structure and governance and decision-making and uh, financials and uh, investment and strategic growth and all these things that are just what how the corporate world works. And so regardless of your whether your firm is going to be a platform firm or whether your firm is going to be merged into a platform firm or you're going to stay independent, the neighborhood around you is changing pretty dramatically. And you're not going to be able to stay in the same house looking the same way that you were all those years when the neighborhood looked pretty much the same. Now it's a whole different kettle of fish. Interesting as things are changing. I like the term you use, platform firm, which I guess is the acquiring firm. And uh, when you say the neighborhood is changing, is that the services that they're offering? Oh, no, it's the firms themselves. Um, when you take a look at the firm itself, it's going from a partner model, which is the Knights of the Round Table and everybody gets a vote, to an organizational structure where everybody has a boss, uh, where you have accountability. And accountability is, is uh, connected to performance and compensation, where your boss is responsible for your success just as much as you are, where decisions are made much more quickly. and and then you go into things like the sophistication in driving demand, which is professional sales organizations, which will be embedded in our organizations and strategic growth at the market level, where we're going to be uh, driving growth with great big nets in the ocean and not just with a cane pole fishing for one fish at a time with a banker breakfast and lawyer lunch. And um, then you have things like advisory services, which are going to be just absolutely infused in our firms, especially as we get uh, we acquire talent from outside of the CPA profession and get comfortable with that. The alternative practice model, which you're seeing where firms are being divided into attest and then non-attest services or compliance and non-compliant services. And so those will be alternative organizational structures as well. So in a nutshell, Everything is changing. Yeah. Gail, one of the things I love about your communication styles, you you use these quip analogies that are just so on point. Uh, and I I wish I could go back and, and and unpack some of those things. One of the things that you stood that you said was the, the changing of the firms. And I was thinking about we had um was it David, was it Blake Oliver and David Leary on the show? And we were talking about uh you were basically we were asking the question. Are we looking at the death of the partnership model in the CPA firm? Gail, what's your take on that? Oh, I think the partnership model is going to go the way of the buggy whip in time. And the reason why is because you might be very cozy in your partnership model. But again, the neighborhood's changing. So your competition is going to be organizational structures around you that have all these things that I just described. And it 
will manifest itself in your ability to compete in the market and your ability to compete with value price, you know, value propositions and pricing that are in alignment with them. And so as a result of that, you cannot continue on for very long with the model that you have now and compete against others around you that have far, uh, far greater capabilities and sophistication with how they're getting into the market and acquiring clients and, and owning the markets. Yeah. Like these firms are just, they're growing up being big boy and girl, boy and girl companies. They're, <laughs> we're, yeah. We have to, we have to transcend. Uh, and you know, that shows up in the, the types of clients that we go after too, right? A lot of firms are talking about uh, creating niche firms and mm-hmm. um, they're picking the, they're picking the areas that they're passionate about and going after those niche firms. What are you seeing the same thing? I think it's a very wise idea because the, as we go through the life cycle of a market like we are right now, we are now in the fat cat stage, which is the fourth stage. And that is we've been around a while as a profession. We have lots of competition and thin margins in our core services. And the strategic imperative in fat cat is specialization and innovation. And that means specializing by buyer group or by industry and innovating our services and customizing those services for those buyer groups and industries. So it's the natural development uh, as a market gets more mature. Yeah. And any good company has their ideal target customer in mind, right? We're we're um, sort of in this bad habit in our profession of just taking just about anyone that walks in the door because the services that we would provide are, are seen as a commodity when we think about compliance work. How do you um, how do you advise people to think about their their ideal target clients and then go after them? Uh, the thing that I'm seeing, Jason, that is the biggest mistake is the something called the ideal client profile or some facsimile thereof, which is a series of attributes. We want somebody who you know can pay us and they're not a hassle and you know all these things are attributes and. Well, everybody wants those clients, but that's not a go-to-market strategy. That's a preference in your head. The way to go to market is with ideal clients is to look at particular buyer groups or industries. Why? Because they congregate together like a school of fish. I may say that I want to get clients who are a certain size or a certain capability of paying us, but those kinds of attributes are secondary to the school of fish you're going to be in. Because see, those attributes can be in a school of catfish or in a school of bass or in a school of crappie or in a school of perch. And you're not going to go into a pond and say, well, I only want the perch that looks like this and the bass that looks like that and the crappie that looks like that. You'll be fishing all over the place and not get any momentum. So, you know, put put it away for a moment and get first into the, the identify the school of fish that has the best market conditions, the ones that are hungry for the kind of, of services that you need to provide them. Uh, if it's corn and red wigglers or if it's live crabs, whatever it is. And the point about it is once you get that identified, the school of fish that you're supposed to be in, then you can look, go after the ideal client profile. And I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with firms 
that are starting with the ideal client profile and they wonder why they're not growing. That's because they're fishing over here and fishing over there and fishing in the third place. And they got it all wrong. They got the wrong, you know, filter on it. Primary filter is the buyer group. Let me ask you a question since uh, I'm sort of like a novice with this. When you say school of fish, could you put that in the accounting terms? Well, what kind of sure. clients am I looking for when I'm looking for a school of sure, fish? Sure, school of fish. So you have the manufacturing school of fish. You have the real estate school of fish. You have the cannabis school of fish. And you have the, the healthcare school of fish. Those are each schools of fish. Notice she, notice she said cannabis, Jason. I'm back to cannabis. <laughs> You're always... And by the way, David, the school of fish here in Washington—that's going to be salmon. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> the reason I pushed cannabis, uh, Gail, is I kept telling cannabis, cannabis was going to be a big industry way back when, when he wouldn't let me talk about it. But uh, those are the old days. So let's take they—they they find the school of fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, is audit out of that box? Is audit separate? Because all the growth seems to be on the private equity side. What do the firms do about audit? Well, now we're moving from the buyer group to the service itself, right? And so, and if you think of my big spreadsheet in the sky where the industries are the columns, the services are your rows. So your question is now about audit and where is audit going or how does how does audit uh, get in by private equity? Well, and David likes to bring this up too because audit's kind of it's a, it's a, it's it's a different animal than a lot of the compliance services. And so, what I, what I think he's getting at is where does where does audit play a role? Is as we think about um, shifting the paradigm on how we look at our business models. Oh, okay. So I don't pull audit out of the pile any differently than any other service. And the reason why is because it's just another service. It has the same characteristics of all the other services. It just happens to be highly compliance driven. And some of other ones are low, lowly, you know, low compliance driven. But that's just an attribute of audit. You see the audit that we have been serving up for years has been vanilla ice cream. And, you know, we've got to start serving up chocolate and strawberry and, you know, and other flavors that are customized by industry. And because an audit of a skilled nursing facility is, let's face it, it's, it's different than an audit of a, of a construction company. And, and they don't need to look the same and they shouldn't look the same. And the more that we take on the responsibility for customizing our audits by buyer group or industry, the more they're going to look very different in the future and should, they should look very different. Absolutely. And so while we're talking about the services, you brought up advisory services. Um, you know, David and I talk about that a lot on the show. A lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's the talk of the town. Oddly, it has been for like 20 years, as far as I can remember, but we're finally taking it seriously but I think people are still struggling a little bit to get, get wrap their heads around it. When when you say advisory services, what does that mean to you? And what 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 do you offer our listeners in terms of you know how they think about those services for their own firms? Advisory services I use interchangeably with the word consulting services. So when you're doing advisory services, you really are consulting, and in consulting, you've got three different kinds of consulting. One is telling your client what to do. 
two is showing them how to do it, and three is doing it for them. So you break down those services into those three buckets, number one, and get clarity around which bucket of services are you selling. The other thing about advisory is that because it's so broad and because it requires a different mindset than an accountant mindset, we find the reason why we've been talking about it, Jason, for 20 years is we've hired a bunch of accountants to do accounting. And we, we haven't hired a bunch of consultants. And the mindset of an of a, of a accountant is, is very calendar-driven and it's compliance-driven. And that is the antithesis of a consultant. A consultant is an explorer. A consultant is an innovator. An explorer and a consultant is a communicator. A consultant is, is not calendar-driven. They're all about the future and continuously improving a client's condition. So why should we be surprised when we can't get there when we have the people over here that we hired that they didn't have those skills and they didn't want to have those skills? And that's the reasons why we're having challenges. That is extremely well said, Gail. And so that leads us into talent and tech. How how does that, how, how do we leverage talent and tech differently as we look forward uh, to be successful in this space? Because this is where we're going. Compliance will always be around, but it's not, the rest of this consulting and, and advisory stuff is, uh, somebody said it well, it's, it's a squandered opportunity in our profession. Uh, and the smart firms are, are starting to take the lead. So, so how do we think about talent technology uh, differently uh, as we move forward? And when you say talent and tech, you mean the talent within the tech? Um, no, the talent, the talent that we acquire or how we manage our talent, talent, because we also know that there's not an abundance of people entering this profession, yeah. um, you know, all the reasons behind that. And then uh, how, what is technology's role in enabling? I gotcha. I gotcha. So technology is so interesting because it is at the epicenter of consulting services. When you think about consulting services, it's identifying or assessing the current condition. And that is always about analysis. And so now we have data analytics and large data sets that can be used to enhance our consulting, um, our consulting services. So technology, te- consulting technology is at the very epicenter of it. Now, um, the talent that we have, again, We've got a choice as to whether we're going to develop it internally or acquire it from outside. And certain of the technologies you can easily develop internally, and that would be, for example, data analytics. Certain of the technologies that are going to be used, you probably are going to need to uh, pull in from outside in specialized areas. And as a result, it's a concurrent path of developing within and taking something that is close to what you've done, for example, take some auditors and and give them training in data analytics, or launch consulting services that are close to what you already know, like CFO advisory would be an example. And at the same time, looking at the markets and which markets have the best conditions and what are the what are the what are the consulting services they really would buy? And you're going to find that you're going to go pretty far afield with talent, 
that you don't have and you can't easily develop and you're going to have to go and buy it. And you can do that at the same time if you marry together the services that are interesting to the buyer and the buyer group that they're interested that they are interested in them. So you're going to have CFO outsourcing and not for profits and then over here in in real estate you're going to have some other, you know, perhaps ESG uh, assessments in the real estate area with property managers and there's a perfect example of you know, this, the CFO services and not-for-profits is probably something you can develop from within and get to market faster. Whereas ESG and real estate, I mean, that's that's out there. You don't have any ESG consultants in, you know, your firm today. So you're going to have to go and get them and it's going to be a longer ride. And so when you look at it that way, what happens is your portfolio of services and and service buyer fit uh, should be such that some things you can bring to market sooner and some things you're investing in longer. And as you look at the entire portfolio, it makes sense. Absolutely perfect. Well, Gail, amazing advice today. And and thank you for sharing your your experience and expertise. Uh, I think it's wildly helpful. Your listeners will find it helpful as well as we continue to think about preparing our firms for the future and, and what the future of our profession looks like. And, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, but there's, I think it's important to ground on the fact that, and, and I think you inspired this, you know, with me today, at least is there's a ton of opportunity coming. We are living on the precipice of a, the, one of the most positive transformations in our profession that, that we've ever seen, in my opinion. Uh, it is and- so true. It is so true, Jason. And I'll, you know, you like analogies. I'll give you my last one. Back in the 1960s and 70s, music had a tsunami of change going on, just complete, you know, went from basic three chord rock and roll in the 50s to an explosion of different kinds of music from all over the world. Um, And that's what this looks like right now. There was never a time in our lifetime that music had such an explosive shift from what it used to be back in the good old, you know, Frank Sinatra back in his day days (laughs) 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 to to Led Zeppelin, you know, and and Guns N' Roses and, you know, all the other, you know, Bob Dylan, I could go on and on. I mean, it was incredible the amount of potential that musicians had. And it's similar today with us in CPA firms. It is just an explosion of opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. Well said. Agreed. Uh, Gail, last thing, if then, if our listeners want to uh, keep listening to you uh, beyond reading your book, which they're all going to go by, uh, <laughs> what, uh, how do you recommend people stay in touch? So um, my website's crosleycompany.com and I publish articles about once every six weeks. So if you fill out the, the contact us, um, you know, form on there, We'll get you in the database. And I've got on my website like 150 articles, I think, in addition. Brilliant. Yeah. So uh, there's an article for every occasion in there as it relates to growth. There you go, folks. You want to keep learning from Gail? Go to our website. She's got tons of content. That's awesome. (laughs) Gail, can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Thanks again for being here. Um, Looking forward to the next time we cross paths. 
Thank you. Same here. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, David. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2023.